Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, whoever you are, whatever your struggles and temptations may be, victory is yours for the taking. Well, we are starting out quite profoundly this <laughs> yes, morning. We are. Normally, you start off with a question. You kind of, <laughs> kind of threw me. I'm not really sure how to respond to that. But before we get too far into our profound show today, we want to remind everyone that you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dirtigan, where we rally you to do um, to do the remarkable and to live victoriously. Because we're going to be talking about overcoming this day, overcoming the challenges and the obstacles um, that sometimes life puts in front of you, whether they're unexpected or whether sometimes they can be self-inflicted. So we have two special guests today that we're really excited to talk about and talk with and to talk about their different perspectives on this subject. So um, we just want to remind everyone that you can get more information about our show and our guests on our website at girlfriendit.com. Well, talking about those profound uh, guests that we're going to be having on the show today, um, one of them is a, a leader with an amazing ministry for women, and she partners with us in an organization called Bloom. And Bloom is under the umbrella of Stadia, which transforms lives and communities through church planting. Um, I, I love that their tagline, Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children, and they won't stop until every child has a church. And especially right now when you're looking at our culture and you're just seeing um, so many kids that are, are not choosing um, their faith and they're not really embracing it, that's um, we all need to do a little bit more of that to really focus on. Our children that are looking for something to hold on to, they're looking for hope and for something more than what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And Bloom provides inspiration, encouragement, and resources for planners' spouse so they can provide the same to their families, staffs, and churches. So joining us now from the Ministry of Bloom is Tracy Rates. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Well, Tracy, you are the wife of Jason, and you guys planted a, um, at Thrive Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, almost two years ago, and Jason is the pastor, and you are in charge of the Thrive Kids operation? I am, yes. Yes. Well, um, and let's talk a little bit more about, um, obviously, you have a passion. Um, you're going into the Thrive Kids operation. Uh, you have four children, and let's talk a little bit about your four kids because um, we hear that uh, you have two kids with the genetic disorder that takes on, um, obviously, a lot of planning and a lot of time, and we're talking about that today on how do we overcome, how do we live victoriously, especially when we have the obstacles and the struggles of just the day-to-day life. So tell us a little bit more um, about this genetic disorder that obviously is going to be taking a lot of, of your time. All right. Uh, my son, Zachary, who's 11, and my daughter, Madison, who are seven, have um, 
a genetic disorder called phenylcantinuria, um, shortened as PKU. Um, if you've ever drank a diet soda or chewed a pack of gum, you've probably seen the warning. Um, they all okay, say phenylcantinuria. You have to back up on that. Just a sec. You said if ever you what? If you've ever drank in a diet soda or chewed a pack of gum, you've seen the warning on it. Um, cause anything with aspartame is going to have uh, phenylalanine in it. So, um, uh, basically what, uh, PKU is, is their bodies do not process an amino acid in protein. So they can't process phenylalanine. Um, and that's found in, um, pretty much everything. Um, they cannot have any meat, any fish, any eggs, any cheese, dairy, ice cream, regular pasta, regular breads, um, and the list goes on. Um, so anything they eat um, has to be weighed or measured. Um, I have to special order breads, um, pastas, and baking mixes for them so they can have pancakes and cookies and, um, you know, any of that, any baked goods. Um, so my, a large part of my day is spent, um, preparing food for them, uh, whether it's cooking it or weighing it or measuring it, or just always in the back of my mind, having the next meal planned. So I'm never caught without something for them before out and about, which in ministry is pretty much always. <laughs> yeah. So what happens if, if they do eat one of these items, what, what takes place? Um, unlike an allergic reaction, there is not an immediate reaction, so you're not going to see hives or they're not going to quit breathing. Um, but over, over time, um, the phenylalanine will build up in their system and it attacks their central nervous system, which would affect their thinking, their learning, their ability to read, um, their ability to do math, um, pretty much any day-to-day activity that they would need to do. So if they are not on uh, a very strict low-protein diet and they both drink a medical formula that has all of the protein minus the phenylalanine that their body needs and all the vitamins and minerals, um, their lives would be drastically changed. Um, if not caught as a baby, which um, every hospital um, in the United States um does uh, a heel poke at birth. Um, that's one of the tests that's done on every baby before they leave the hospital. Sometimes it's referred as a PKU test. Um, mm-hmm. That's how we found out about the PKU. Um, if not caught at birth, um, they would be mentally impaired at their ages right now. They would not um, be doing what they're doing. Uh, my son would not be playing football or baseball. My daughter would not be running around um, so not caught at birth would drastically change um, the outcome of their life. So they were both caught at birth, thankfully, and uh, um, levels have been maintained throughout their life. They've both had great levels, um, and they're doing good. So, Well, you know, your, your plate is full, not only because you're a, a planter's wife. Yeah. You know, church planter, I mean, ministry in itself um, and doing ministry is, is – um, it takes a lot out of you, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then, um, and then four children that have, you know, regular diets, I can't even imagine because I only had two. 
And then you add, <laughs> so I'm listening to you going, okay, I so respect you. And I'm so inspired because, um, I mean, that really is like you said, your day. I mean, you know, when you're talking measuring and stuff, because I had a hard time just, you know, cooking a meal for dinner, oh, yeah. much less worrying about, you know, <laughs> pasta. Yeah. So today I made my, she's in high school now and I threw her lunch and I literally, it was a granola bar. I actually did put half of a cucumber in there. So those listeners out there, they're going to go, she did add a vegetable <laughs> and a bottle of water and a bag of potato chips. That's what I threw in her lunch. Cause it was like, I was running out the door. She was running out the door. And I, you know, I just want to back up real quick. How many people suffer from this disorder? Is there um, stats on that? They estimate every one in 10,000 wow. um, suffer from PKU. So I'm lucky enough to have two of them. <laughs> wow. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's amazing your, your, your heart in this. And like you said, you found it out right away. And, um, you know, two of your four and just what it takes for you to just love on them and taking care mm-hmm. of their needs is, is so it's, it's inspiring. So, you know, like we, we said earlier in the show, we're talking about just kind of overcoming when, you know, there's challenges and obstacles in front of you. And obviously these, this one, you know, your kids' lives depend on you and their well being, yeah. And so you, you can't just ignore this, you know, and you, you have to really no. lean into it and learn and just really invest yourself. And yet at the same time, you're still doing um, a ministry thrive, you know, your kids operation. And I just want to, you know, just encourage, how do you, in the midst of this, like when you, when you just kind of walk us through what's inside, because I think a lot of us will have challenges or obstacles and they they all vary depending on, you know, what we're looking at. And it's easy to think I'm the only one um, with, you know, that, that is experiencing this, or you're looking at this going, now I have a choice. How am I going to respond to this? You know, this, this new situation. And obviously, you know, you, right away from birth, you have your, you know, your precious little baby. You're like, okay, already my life just changed, you know, not just because I had a baby, but now with these. So we only have a couple minutes um, until we take our first break, but just kind of get us inside. Like, how does, how do you go? Okay. How, how I'm going to choose to handle this, my attitude toward all this. Um, At the very beginning, it was hard because, like you said, I mean, looking at your baby, um, and especially with it being genetic because it's something my husband and I unknowingly carried, um, was hard. Um, but I quickly went into, okay, this is my life. Um, his life and his well-being depend on it. And I never wanted him to feel bad about himself. I never wanted him to... Um, you know, I, he's going to feel different enough just sitting down to eat lunch with his friends. I didn't want him to ever have a negative look on it, and I knew a lot of his perception of it was going to be what mom thought. And mom faced when I made his food or when I handed him his milk or um, as I shopped, and I just I never wanted him to feel bad about himself or to feel bad about this. So early on, I just, I took a, okay, this is what we have to do. And, um, I've just kind of taken the, you know, and he's had questions, you know, why me, why do I have this? And, you know, and I always tell him that's part of what makes you special. This is how God made you. He doesn't make mistakes. And, 
Um, we've built a network of friends and people that we never would have met had he not been diagnosed with PKU. Um, so I just try to take the approach, you know, this is, this is what God's given us and what are we going to do with it? How are we going to, um, make the best of it? Um, you know, reframing, how do we reframe what's in front of us and find yes, the silver yes. lining and, and how do we, yep, you know, yep. go forward and, and it starts with us. Like you said, they get their cues from you. How are you looking at yep. the food, your smile? So we're going to stop on that note. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. We're going to be right back. Okay. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's marching Have you heard about the daring man in Siberia who filmed himself feeding a squabbish brown bear out of his kitchen window? Squabbish is another word for fat and heavy. Brown bears are native to northern Russia, and adult males can grow to 7 feet tall and weigh up to 1,400 pounds. The YouTube video features the man placing chunks of salmon on his windowsill while the bear reaches in and yaffles it down. At one point, when the bear gets greedy, the man goes so far as to gently swat the bear's paw away. Okay, what are some words for a foolish person? A goostrum noodle, a jobber knoll, and dotty pole. No word yet as to if the bear said spasiba, which means thank you in Russian. It's marching Carolyn Davidson and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are back with Tracy Rates, um, our guest from the ministry Bloom. And Tracy and her husband, Jason, planted Thrive Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, almost two years ago. And we were just discussing overcoming obstacles and living victoriously. Uh, Tracy has two children diagnosed with PKU. And we went into the commercial break. Um, pondering the thought of how do we reframe how we think. And I, I, I love what you said, Lisa, about um, doing that, that paradigm shift. Um, I know Ro- Romans eight thirty seven talks about we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so many times when um, our children 
are suffering, I think many times the parents, especially the mom, suffers even more. Like they don't know anything different really, but we see it as, okay, God, why, why this obstacle? Why am I dealing with this? And I think sometimes that pours into the way our children think. And I, I've seen that. And I, I love your attitude, um, Tracy, and just um, pouring that into them that this is how God created you. And this is, I mean, God's going to use even this. And this is going to be part of your purpose. But yet, um, that's that's really hard sometimes, I, I think, as a mom to even really grasp that. So, Tell us a little bit about when you're in that, that deep valley of that struggle. Um, how do you find that hope? I know I have a close friend whose son has Crohn's disease, and um, she went through just that major you know, depression of how do I even deal with this, yet alone keep my child you know, being positive. Um, I have a great great family, great support through the family. Um, they've all been great since he's been born about, um, trying to include, you know, what can we have for him? Um, you know, I've talked with a few families to the extended families, not supportive. And thankfully our extended family have all been very supportive. I have some great friends who have scales at their house. So if I'm over there, I can weigh his food. They make sure they have, you know, snacks in their cupboards that he can have, um, and my daughter as well. Um, so I think building a support network of people who really know you and um, can tell when you're in those valleys and give you those encouraging words and remind you um, why you're doing what you're doing and how important it is. Um, and my husband is very supportive as well, um, you know, I've had my down moments and he's reminded me, um, you know, just everything I do in a day to make their day easier. And, um, so just that support network of people is very important to have a group of people that you can go to when you're in that valley and say, you know, help. <laughs> I need yeah. encouragement. I, I, I need, you know, I need you to tell me it's going to be okay. Um, exactly. Well, and you know, that's what's one of the really cool things about the, the ministry you're part of Bloom that we, you know, partner with and we just so appreciate because you really, um, it's intentional of bringing women that are kind of in the same season. Um, and for yep. the same reason, you're all planners wife to come together to just share stories and to encourage and to inspire and to go, you're not alone. I'm with you, even though we're all in sometimes isolated places around the country. It's yet yep. we have that common bond and we can come together. And, but you talked about, you know, forming different groups and letting people into your life. And I think that is, that is a challenge for so many women. And um, it's because so many times women suffer in silence and they don't let other people into their story, into their lives. And so it sounds like you've been very intentional, just even locally there, letting people come into your story. Like you have friends that have those snacks, you know, that, that get it. And then your family, but, it, a lot of times when, when these obstacles or these challenges happen like that, we, we tend to kind of just isolate ourselves and we don't let other people in or we're, we can, can start focusing just on poor me instead of really mm -hmm. opening up going, what can I do? So you have to 
be, you know, be intentional with letting people into your life, going out and finding those support groups and going out and finding people that will come and be a part of your life. Address that, what that looks like. Because I, I know some women are probably sitting here going, okay, I've been suffering kind of in silence, you know, I, and I've allowed this, whatever it is to define me and to control me instead of me being able to still live life in spite of it, which is inspiring. Like you're still doing ministry. You're still a wife. You're still a friend. You still have people in the midst of this. This doesn't define you and just stop you. How would you encourage other women to go, go seek it out, be intentional. What does that look like? Um, it's not easy. Um, I am a very private behind the scenes type person. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it is hard to make that first step to find those people. Um, and my husband's been great about pushing me to find those people. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's sometimes an everyday intentional, okay, I need people. I can't do this alone. Who am I going to, you know, who am I going to trust? Who am I going to talk to today? Um, you know, sometimes it is an everyday reminder to yourself, okay, I can do this. I have these friends. I have this, or sometimes it's just a person. Um, find that person um, that you can talk to, that you can rely on, and um, make yourself. Uh, you're going to have to step out of that comfort zone um, and just, you know, talk and, and make yourself, put yourself out there. It's not an easy step, but it is a very important step to overcoming whatever it is um, that you're dealing with, whether it's with your kids or personally, um, you know. Well, and I think what you're saying is, yeah, it's being so intentional every day going up. Okay. Like you said, like, who's the person I need to call or what do I need to yeah. do? And, and a lot of times we, uh, we tend to think because you're so pouring into like in, in your case, your, your children and, and it really does sometimes depending on what our challenges, it can consume our world and consume our lives. Yeah. And, and, and yet, and then we kind of forget about ourselves. And mm-hmm. Patty and I mm-hmm. always like to tell women, you know, you matter too. And, and, um, you know, the self-care, it's not being selfish. It's you need to, you know, to fill up your picture. So as you're constantly being poured out. And so I think for each person, depending on their temperament, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you have to identify what does that look like for me? And, you know, for some women, it might be, I just need to read some things Mm -hmm. and just, you know, have alone time, quiet time. Um, But I think we we need to have people in in our lives, at least one person that we can go, okay, just Talk me off the off the ledge yeah. here. This is not yep. a good day. Somebody that's safe because you have those moments and, and yet we feel guilty for feeling that. And yet it's okay. It's a part of it because sometimes life is just not, you know, from the highlight reel of Facebook. And you have to go, this no, this really is a hard day. And and just acknowledge that and let somebody else come into you and just you know help you carry that load. Well and and yeah. sometimes in carrying that load as having that friend there. You have a smile on your face. I'm well, not sure where you're going. I was just laughing because uh, it might be just even talking about what you're making for them that day. I know with my friend, um, you know, she's talking about what medication she's having to go get and what she's having to cook that day. And it's just even processing that, which to other people, it's like, I really don't care what you're 
what you're making. I mean, for, for Lisa and I, food isn't a number one thing. We're not the best chefs around. So, so when we're, <laughs> around, with that, are we? when we're around, when people are giving us details in the recipe, you can see us kind of glaze over. And sometimes as a friend, you just, you need to be engaged in what that recipe sounds like and looks like. And it, you do? it, it I know. <laughs> pay attention to me. Um, so it, it's, it's complicated at times to have that person, but having that person is significant even in what I'm doing and what medications I'm having to go purchase. Yes. Well, I'm finding the support group and like, I'm, um, is there a support group for families that, that have kids with this disorder? There are. I'm a part of a couple Facebook groups. Um, I'm a part of an email listserv. Um, and then Michigan has a group. We meet a couple times a year for picnics and different things, uh, which is very helpful to be around other families who are dealing with the same thing. And for my kids to be around other kids, because outside of each other, on a daily basis, they don't run into anybody with PKU. So to be able to be at a picnic with most of the kids are like them, you know, and their siblings who do not have PKU are now the outsiders um, is helpful. on both ends, you know, it's good for my kids that don't have it to experience that, oh, I'm the different one now instead of my PKUers being a different one. Um, so there are, there's some great support um, within the state. And then, like I said, on Facebook where um, there's people from other countries on there too. So it's, um, you know, my son is now 11, you know, I let him read some stuff so he can see there's other people all around the world dealing with the same things he's dealing with, the same feelings he has. Um, so even for him, that that's important at his age to see that and hear that. Well, I think that's important for any of us. You know, we always want to, you know, we need to know we're not alone in whatever we're struggling with and whatever we're going through, you know, whether it's, you know, challenges in ministry, whether it's challenges in life or parenting or, you know, in, in leading something, you know, there's always those challenges and it's just always so good to know that, okay, I'm not alone in this. Somebody else gets it. Somebody else has been there before. Somebody yep. else has, you know, gone through it and is on the other side of it. And it gives us that hope. So we have to live with that hope and, and um, just, you know, appreciate how you, you brought in normalcy into your kid's life and through this so that you don't feel like the odd man out, you know? And I think all of yeah. us need that too. It's like, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on in our life, we need to find that where is that normal um, what does normal look like for us? Because you're redefining normal and everybody has their yep. own normal. And I think, you know, one of the, the tragedies in life is we try to fit so much everybody into a same box and go, this is yeah. normal. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so when we get can free ourselves to go, I don't have to be in that box. I don't have to think like that. My family is unique. It doesn't fit in and quit comparing. It goes back to that whole comparison thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, we yeah. just got to quit comparing. Well, we have got to go and take a break. Tracy, thank you for sharing your life. I know this is hard, but you've encouraged so many yeah. others today just by your story. And I, you know, our stories are so significant and powerful and um, each one of us has our own story and our own challenges, but there is always hope and we need to really seek out and find somebody we trust that's safe to come alongside of us in our journey and, and to carry it with us. So thank you for joining our show. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. Thanks for having me.
This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back, and we've been discussing overcoming, and joining us now is Becky Wade. Becky is the Carol Award and Inspirational Reader's Choice Award winning author of My Stubborn Heart, Undeniably Yours, Meant to be mine and her latest, A Love Like Ours. Becky and her husband lived overseas in the Caribbean, which Lisa and I are all over that, and Australia before settling in Dallas, Texas. And it was during her years abroad when Becky's passion for reading turned into a passion for writing. She published three historical romances for the general market, then put her career on hold to care for her kids. And when God called her back to writing, she knew he meant for her to turn her attention to Christian fiction. And these days, Becky, you can usually be found trying but failing to to keep up with the housework and (laughs) uh, carting your kids around town. So welcome, Becky. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well this morning. Great. Well, we're excited about your new book, A Love Like Ours. And in this book, uh, you talk a lot about overcoming some certain situations there. But let's go back and uh, talk about you left the Caribbean and Australia. Um, That's the most significant question (laughs) for today. Why? To go to Texas. So uh, (laughs) tell us a little bit about that. Yes. I married um, my husband after I met him at Baylor. We both went to Baylor University. And he graduated a few years before I did and was a tennis pro. 
And we decided that it would be great fun to travel. We had the foresight, even in our 20s, our early 20s, right after graduating from college, to to understand that that might be a great time in our lives to live overseas and travel. And looking back, you know, thank goodness we did when we could because um, he took a job as the resort pro at a tiny little island in the Caribbean called Anguilla, and we lived there for three years. And then after that, we lived in Perth, Australia, again with his tennis for one year. And the reason that we came back to Dallas is that he was offered a great job here, and we just couldn't pass it up. We knew that our our connections back home in the States were growing slimmer the longer we stayed away. And so we uh, we took that job offer, and we've lived in Dallas ever since, since um, 1997. Well, that is amazing, like scenic route to get to yeah. to there. And you know, good for you, like, like you're recognizing. Okay, in this season of our life, we can do this, and we can go yeah. have this yeah. adventure. And so many of us dream of it, but we never make it happen. So the fact that you guys did, and then while it was kind of while you were away, that you kind of discovered kind of your passion for writing. How did that kind of evolve? Well, I had always had a passion for reading. So I had grown up. My mom got me hooked on books when I was young. She read out loud to me. I can remember sitting on the sofa next to her and listening to um, the Little House on the Prairie series and just loving it. Mm -hmm. And so since that time on, I had been an avid reader. I had never considered writing. And in fact, I got a business degree in college. But then when I found myself in Anguilla, I couldn't work there because of the work permit restrictions, they would only give you a work permit if you could do something that nobody else on the island was qualified to do. And, you know, that was smart. They were trying to protect jobs for their local people. And my husband had a work permit because nobody else could teach tennis. But I couldn't work there. So I started volunteering and just, you know, trying to find things, meaningful things to fill my days. And it was during that time that I read a book I really didn't like. And I thought, oh, I could do this better. And what I didn't know was that I really couldn't do it better. I didn't know anything about writing <laughs> at all. And yet I sat down and I had a computer and I had time and, and imagination. And I dreamed up a story. And from the moment that I started writing it, I just loved it. I just fell in love with writing. And from then on, I had to go through four years of slowly and arduously teaching myself how to write a novel, you know, about the craft of writing because as soon as I tried to submit that first book, people could tell right away that I was a complete rookie. You know, I just didn't know there was a whole craft to it. And so uh, I got just rejection after rejection after rejection for four years and across four different manuscripts before I finally sold one. But I stuck with it and um, I still, you know, I still love it to this day. Mm. I love hearing the stories of tenacity of, of writers. Um, I, I think that uh, as an author, not, not that I'm an author, for you as an author, when you hear or see it with your children of them giving up in any way, that has to kind of drive you crazy a little bit <laughs> where it's like, oh, no, honey, you haven't seen fail yet. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's true. To be, to be a writer, you have to be very tenacious. And you also have to be quite self-disciplined, you know, in order to get those four books written that never, you know, had a publisher, I had to discipline myself to sit down and do them. And I had to motivate myself and I wasn't getting paid. And it was just, um, it took a lot of, it did, it took a lot of character to get those accomplished and to finally find a publisher for one of them. And so, yeah, when I see that in my kids, um, 
it is frustrating as a parent. It's something that I guess I'm hoping comes along with more maturity, <laughs> as, as, as a lot of things I, I hope come along with more maturity. Um, you know, when I see that in them, I hope it will come, you know, with age and kind of a gaining of wisdom and time. Well, I think it's a hard. There's a couple things I, I have to. One thing I want to go back to the character and the tennis player, and the other thing with our kids. Um, there's a culture there of if I'm not great and perfect at it, because they're so used to getting, you know, everybody gets a trophy, then yeah. they go, oh, uh, I'm not perfect at it, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna quit. Rather than the tenacity of no, you you get better at it because you stay in the game. But, um, I, I want to back up when you were talking about your husband, husband being a professional tennis player. Um, what was the name of the professional tennis player, um, that the referee called the ball out on his side of the court, which would have caused him to win the match. Okay. And he walked up and said, no, it touched the line. Oh, did, right. Did you know that, and, and, and literally mm-hmm. everybody knows, and then it's, this is comical because my point of the story was everybody knew him, but now I can't think of his name because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a huge tennis fan. So right. I figured maybe you would, I like to play it. I just don't necessarily watch it. And I just thought that is such a story on character. You couldn't remember yeah. who actually won whatever the open was that he, but you remembered him because he had the opportunity to take that. That would have you know, made him the champion. And yet it was all about his integrity and his character. And that was just amazing. It's one of those that they should show in every school. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that is a great story. And it does. I I do remember exactly what you're talking about. And I can't pull up the name either um, because I'm like you, I like to play tennis, but I don't watch it or follow the professional circuit very much. Um, Yeah lately. Uh, but yeah, tennis gives you a great opportunity to develop character in, in many ways, just like writing does. You know, we're dealing with those. We have one child. We have uh, one child who loves tennis out of our three kids. Um, and, you know, as he's in like this 10, 11, 12-year-old age, it's really hard for him to deal with defeat gracefully mm-hmm. and to be a good sportsman on the court. And one of the nice things that they do for kids that age is they do give out a sportsmanship award to a child who maybe didn't excel, you know, in the tournament as far as wins and losses, but who exhibited that kind of sportsmanship like you're talking about, that kind of character, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great. I think that's um, what sports and writing endeavors or whatever you're passionate about, it should do that. You know, you should learn the lesson that, hey, I'm not good at this right away, but over time and with commitment, I could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like you said, just, you know, you, when you discover, obviously you had – uh, you know, kind of a hidden talent there for writing, a knack for it. And, and, but it, but just because you might have a talent doesn't mean it comes easy and you don't right. work. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the thing we, we think if I have a gift or I have this talent, it should just ooze out and be natural. Things should go well. And like you said, you had to persevere. You had to stay with it for four years. And, you know, um, you had to discipline yourself and self-motivate and then deal with rejection. And yet now hearing the other side with, you know, being, being, um, you know, award-winning author now and having books coming out. I think that's what we, those are the messages we need to be telling to our children and even to ourselves that, no, it still is hard work, even though 
talent is involved with that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just staying with that and seeing what happens. Well, even, um, with staying with it, I, what, and we were three minutes before we go into a commercial break, but I had read one time where an author said I put in 250 words a day. That's just my minimum where I'm going to commit to that. Did you find that you had to break it down and do that kind of commitment to yourself where you, gave yourself a minimum, or were there days that you just didn't write at all? You know, in my case, it's a different thing that works for every different author, but in my case, what I gave myself was was a time minimum. So the five work days of the week, I wrote for two hours each day, and I just... If, if I poured out a lot of words in two hours, great. If I, nothing was coming and I just went back and kind of reworked some earlier scenes instead, great. But so long as I sat in the chair and worked for two hours, I was able to accomplish an amazing amount in a short period of time. I think I wrote a very long novel in like nine months. Wow. Just with that two hour a day minimum. But you know, for busy people, let's say you have a passion and you can only give it um, 20 minutes a day or 30. Still, you'd be surprised at how much you can accomplish and grow in whatever it is you love in that amount of time every day or five days a week. Well, and it really is about consistency. And, and like yeah. you said, um, setting yourself your own personal goals, whatever motivates you. That yep. It's like, you know, starting, you know, a, a new health regimen or, you know, or you have to, or, you know, an exercise routine. You have to find something that you're going to enjoy that, that's doable and that's sustainable. And yes. so I think, yeah. you know, whatever we're doing you know, set yourself some goals. And it's like, what does that look like for you to achieve that? And, um, you know, and it, and it might take bringing somebody else in and go, I need you to hold me accountable and ask mm-hmm. me how I'm, how I'm doing with that. Cause it's so easy to just, you know, start shifting, you know, and drifting off of, you know, the course and, and then think I'll come back later. And so just, you know, like you said, the tenacity to just mm-hmm. stay with it, stay focused and stay in the group. Well, we just have a couple of minutes because when we come back from the break, we want to talk about your book, um, A Love Like Ours and kind of the theme and, and, you know, what, how you kind of develop that and talk about that. But before we go into our break in just one minute now, um, tell us a little bit about how you start developing a character. Well, I have this wonderful uh, list of questions. It's called a character interview, and I ask them of each prospective character. And maybe I get an idea that I want to write a thoroughbred horse trainer like Jake is in A Love Like Ours. Well, then I ask him these series of questions, and through those, I get a really deeper and better understanding of his backstory and his goals and his conflicts and his flaws. And that's how I begin. That kind of gets me on my road. Well, you know what? Questions are so significant, and that's a you know that's such a great place to start. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back asking you more questions. We'll be right back. Great. This is Girlfriend on Toginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. 
That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is Toginet Radio. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back with our award-winning author. And do you notice I said our, like we, we own her now. <laughs> we're, claiming, we're claiming her. She may want to, you know, refute that, but <laughs> yes. Well, Becky Wade and Becky weaves a moving tell of the hope of redemptive love in her new book, A Love Like Ours. And we left, went into the commercial break, talking a little bit about her character, Jake. And he is a former Marine who carries scars for far deeper than the ones that marks his face. After serving his country in the Middle East, he returns home struggling with symptoms of PTSD and his pain causes him to live in a solitary life, avoiding relationships, even with his dearest loved ones. And, um, you know, so many times as we see um, individuals coming back from war and being in the military, we do have a tendency to really not embrace what is going on with the post-traumatic stress syndrome and uh, just talking about overcoming obstacles. So let's get a little bit deeper into your character, Jake. We, We left with you asking questions about your character, which is just fascinating. And did you um, have some someone in mind that you kind of saw this taking place that made you even want to um, write this book? You know, there wasn't any one person that, that motivated Jake and his character or this storyline, but rather just my experiences over the years of watching news shows about PTSD or reading something in magazines about um, our veterans with PTSD and kind of that just experience over time motivated me to really want to tell the story of one man who um, lived through a trauma when his IED was hit, or when his Humvee rather was hit by an IED overseas in Iraq and um, ended up losing the other Marines that were traveling in the vehicle with him and 
how he then comes back and, and goes through the motions of his life back in Texas where he's from for many years but just continues to suffer. And this can happen with veterans. You know, it can be something that's quite long-term. There there are those who fought in Vietnam and are still struggling with PTSD. And so um, this story, the theme of it, was always for me about finding hope. And um, I'm a a writer who writes love stories. So this is a Christian love story. There's a faith story and a love story through it. And it's kind of in his relationship with Lindy, the heroine of the novel, that he's kind of challenged to examine his own life and um, begin to find his way back to love and to hope and to relationships. Well, you know what? And that is like, we're talking about this overcoming and the hope mm-hmm. you have to you have to hold on to that to get you through and you know you talked about that his character kind of went into a solitary life you know kind yeah. of just isolating himself and that is so common when we when we're struggling or something is just like overwhelming just we don't know what to do we just kind of isolate within ourselves how did you develop it tell us a little bit about this book and just what do you want the reader to really walk away what insight what understanding I developed the story um, not only through asking those in, kind of those interview questions of my characters, but also reach, researching PTSD and reading a memoir of a sort that was written by a Marine who'd undergone, um, you know, some of the same things my character had and then come home with PTSD. Um, and then I also researched, because the story um, deals a lot with thoroughbred horse racing, because Jake is nowadays a thoroughbred racehorse trainer. I researched that in great detail, too. Um, What I hope that readers come away with when they read this story is just a sense that over time, um, God really can use, you know, even our heartaches and um, the things that didn't go according to plan and didn't turn out the way that we had dreamed, because Jake really wanted to be a Marine for life. He wanted to be one for his whole career, and he had to make a complete life shift um, after um, he was injured. Um, The things that don't go according to plan or the way that we kind of envisioned them first Mm -hmm. can still be beautiful through God's handiwork and God's timing. That's really kind of what I wanted to communicate through this story. Hmm. Well, I I think it's interesting. First of all, I love, I love, love, love that you write love stories. Thank you. Um, she of, owns you, you know. Yeah. I yes, know. yes. I'm glad that you do since I'm your writer. <laughs> Don't forget you're my writer. And we uh, have for the future of what you can write about, by the way. But uh, in your book, you're just talking about how can a woman's desire to fix a broken man um, come back to hurt her? Because I'm just looking at it from a mom's perspective. And as you, I have a couple of of daughters and as they're going through these relationships, Mm -hmm. you don't want them to even be with a guy that's, that's broken. And, um, it's kind of scary when you see that maybe they might go that route. You know, they have a little bit of that savior syndrome in them that Mm -hmm. you go, no, yeah, Don't right. Do it. So, um, yeah. How how does that come back to to hurt your your female character? Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I agree with you. You know, I didn't want um, to send that message. I didn't want to send the message that you know a woman can lo- fall in love with a man who's broken and who's living apart from God, which Jake is 
um, when at the outset of the story. And she can, through her great love of him, fix him and make everything right. You know, I definitely did not want to communicate that that story. And this is a tr- this is a struggle for Lindy in the book because she is a natural born healer. Her younger sister has um, cerebral palsy, and she's soft hearted towards people who are different or who have challenges. And she's someone who is always trying to leap in and help. You know, just naturally, she's nurturing. And so when she sees Jake again, they were childhood friends. When she comes back to Holly, Texas 20 years later, and the two of them come face to face, and she kind of understands the depth of his suffering, you know, just instinctively, she wants to do what she can to help him. And part of that is rightly motivated, you know, that she wants to get involved and she wants to to do something. But as she's falling in love with him, she has to kind of confront these issues in her own self because she knows it's not wise to um, to love a man who's, you know, not right with himself, not right with the Lord. And these are issues that she deals with over the course of the book. And I had to just be real with it and true with it. And that's kind of how I how I dealt with it, because I think that it is something that a lot of us are tempted to think. You know, we meet a guy and we know that, you know, we know that there are some real issues there that he's having, and yet we talk ourselves into thinking, oh, he can change, (laughs) or oh, you know, we can change him, and the truth is that only God can change, and so that's, that's the story that I told through A Love Like Ours. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a significant story because if you're dealing with women and having conversations with women, that is a common theme. You know, it's like, yeah. we, you know, women want to be loved so much and have a relationship yep. that they're willing to settle and to go, well, I'll fix them. And once we get married or once this, and it doesn't work like that. And then they're, no. they're disillusioned and, um, and you, you know, you can't, and you can't tell somebody, you know, they have to kind of experience it because they're in love, mm-hmm. you know? And so it really is hard. And it's like, really, how do we, um, you know, kind of coach each other and guide each other to go, okay. And I like what you said, you know, he was broken. He had to get himself right with himself and with God. And so many times, you know, we, we, in our own brokenness, we mm-hmm. find somebody else that's broken. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. once, we, yeah. once healing happens, we're like, okay, we don't really have much in common because what we had in common <laughs> was our brokenness. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like when you're in a good place, you will attract somebody else that's in a good place. Mm-hmm. And that's what we always like to tell people. It's like, you know, when you're still so broken, you can't see, you're just going to be attracted to another broken person. And so, you know, how do you, you know, it, it takes time to, to kind of go, okay, who am I and what do I need to do to take care of myself mm-hmm. and get myself right with the Lord? And, and through that place, you know, love and, and give love. Well, you, um, from what we understand, um, much of this story is based on a family. Um, can you kind of give us a little background about the family um, that you kind of based a lot of the story on? Yes. So I mentioned that Lindy's um, younger sister has cerebral palsy in the book. And I based Lindy's entire family on a real-life family who lives in my neighborhood. And we, came, the mom and I became friends, and I was able to go over to her home and kind of get to know her family. And she has an older daughter. She has two daughters, and the older one is um, completely healthy, and then the younger one was born with severe cerebral palsy. So we're talking about, you know, this condition, cerebral palsy, can have a wide range um, of effects on people. In this case, this daughter is very severe. She's blind and nonverbal. And um, 
you know, has very little control over her muscle movements. Mm -hmm. And so I was just so um, inspired and encouraged by this family when I saw how they took care of um, this younger sister, not only the two parents, but also the older sister. It was just, you know, they live so joyfully and they have such amazing spirits about them because of the way that the Lord has equipped them to do the work that they do with this younger daughter day in and day out, year after year. Um, This family, the younger daughter is about, I think, 13, and the older daughter is maybe about 15 at this point in time. And so they're younger than the two characters in the story. But all I did was imagine this family in the future when this older daughter was in her, um, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and um, told their story through Lindy and her family. And it was a joy. The mom was so gracious to sit down with me and answer all kinds of questions and give me all kinds of just real information about how she really felt, you know, when, when she got the diagnosis for the younger daughter and some of the struggles she faced, you know, then and in the years since. And I incorporated so many of the things that she told me and so many of just the family stories that she was gracious to share I used in the book. So all of that really does come from um, a great, great, great real-life family. Well, and how um, sweet for them that to have you go. I, I notice how loving you are with with your children, and I yep. want to really communicate that story. So, how affirming for them that you would even notice and that you would take the time to investigate. Well, we just have less than a minute. Let uh, thank you for joining us and just sharing. You've been delightful. How can our listeners find more about you and 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 your book, your recent book, A Love Like Ours? Well, I have a website. It's um, BeckyWade.com. Um, the books are available at any online retailer. And also, I'm on social media. So if some of your listeners love social media like I do, they can um, they can connect with me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest. I'm all those places. <laughs> well, Becky, thank you so much for joining us. And we want to encourage all our listeners to go out and be victorious today. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.